Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four. I don't just talk about adoption, I live adoption. We tell stories from all over the world from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptee, and adoptive parent. We talk about adoption and foster care and the real issues that are happening right now. If you're about to start your adoption journey or you need help in your adoption process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. Check out our podcast at adoption-now.com. Okay, I'm excited. I'm always excited. You know that. Today we have a birth mother on, Brandy Miller. Welcome to the show. Thanks, April. Thank you for having me. Brandy, what is this interview going to be like? Because you and I, when we're together, it's like all silliness. Hopefully it continues to be we're gonna, a little silly. We'll we're going to pull it through. I know it. We're going to get through your story. We will try our best to do it. Okay. So today we're going to talk about your story, but also about transgender in adoption. That's mm-hmm. a hot topic just all over, but it's happening in adoption. And so we're going to kind of cover that. But first, let's go back to when you were 15 years old. Sure. Sure. Yeah, so when I was 15, I fell in love with a very handsome boy at the time. And he was a year older and had a car. And I was very, very happy about that. So um, it was a car. It it was a Volkswagen bug. Wow. (laughs) That's it. Easy sell. I'm very easy sell. (laughs) So we got to know each other. And when I became pregnant, it was actually very unexpected. So I, you know, had really great grades in school. I was kind of the responsible friend. I, spent a lot of time trying to help people and, you know, created, you know, charities within the school and got people involved. I think it was a big shock to the community. I was also from a really small island. There was about 4,000 people on the island. So it kind of reverberated and, and rattled people a bit because it was it was pretty unexpected. So, so at 15, yeah. did you consider abortion? I did. So I considered all three options. I was going to church currently at that time, and that philosophy didn't align so much with abortion. So when I was learning about, you know, the different options, I thought, well, abortion at this time just isn't for me. You know, it was a different time in my life, and that was my decision. So what that left us with is the decision to keep the baby and raise the baby with my family or to basically place the child for adoption. Did you want to keep the baby? You know, there were times where I thought it would be the best for me to -hmm. keep the baby. And it would have been the easiest decision for me at that time in terms of not having to go through the trauma that sometimes placing your child for adoption brings. But based on my family situation and where I was in life, you know, I had to start thinking very differently than a 15-year-old would think. Mm -hmm. And looking at the bigger picture. So what that was for me is I wanted to make sure that my child had the best opportunity and opportunities that I didn't have growing up. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. I've heard that before. Birth parents have said, I'd made a list and I realized that the pros of keeping the baby and the pros of placing the baby in the pros, it was all selfish. Mm-hmm. It was all what I wanted to feel, what I wanted right. to do. And that is really hard. I mean, because it's it's fair to be selfish. It's your baby, right? right? And you yeah. want to raise your baby, but you're really making a decision that's best for the child. And so tell me about what it was like when you told the birth father. Yeah. So I, 
it's a little fuzzy. It was a very long time ago, but I remember, I think I called him and I think I just said it to him and he was in shock and I was in shock and, you know, we were responsible. We were on birth control. So at some point there was some level of me not being responsible and taking the pill that, you know, both of us must have forgotten about. Right. How long were you together? Oh, before, before then? I got pregnant. Yeah. I mean, four short months. Okay. It was a very okay. short time. Well, I mean, it's kind of long in when you're 15. When you're 15 right? and everything's fun and right. it's new and When you're it's in high fresh, school. Right? And, and so now your whole world has changed. Did he support you? He did. He supported me at first, you know, and, and he actually supported me through the whole process. But the decision was made to place the baby for adoption with him. So we had that discussion. I would actually say, though, it was in part of my mom getting on board mm-hmm. and telling me that whatever decision I make, she, sh- she supports it. So she was going to support you if you kept the baby, kept the baby, yeah, really? whatever decision, but I didn't want to bring the baby into that environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we were poor, like we were really poor. She was sick. We struggled a lot. There just wasn't a lot of family support where we lived. And it would just, it would have just been really, really hard. Do you have siblings? I have one younger brother. Younger brother. Yeah. Okay. And was he in the loop in this whole thing? He knew about it. I don't know at what point he found out about the baby and in the pregnancy, but, you know, with with my mom being six, a lot of responsibility to care for my little brother landed on me as well. Mm -hmm. So we started thinking, you know, how is this even possible? And the more situations we came up with, just the harder it became to try and, and make keeping the baby work. Okay. Well... The birth father wasn't supportive, though, the entire time. He wasn't. Maybe about the pregnancy. (laughs) But tell us that part of the story, because that really made me feel just, it was heavy. Yeah. You know, to think about you as a 15-year-old and what you went through. Tell us about that. Right. And so, you know, we were, I was still in love and it was about three or four months into the pregnancy, we decided to end our relationship. You know, like I was seeing him last. I, I think the whole thing freaked him out as it would, you know, mm-hmm. he's a 16 year old boy and it just scared him. And then I think as we grew apart, he grew closer to our mutual best friend who he started dating at the time. So, or he dated after we had our big split. These are big issues though, that They're you're dealing with you're at a little, 15 yeah. year old mindset. You know, I can't even think about when I was 15 and you know, your whole life has changed. You're now making adult decisions. You're now responsible for another child. And in the midst of that, this person that you trusted is now dating your best friend. Where were you emotionally? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I was a wreck. Did you go back to school? Were you in oh, school? I stayed you... in school, okay. you know, and so I remained in school through the whole time. Um, the baby was due in July. So I just wanted to feel normal for a while. I'm I, Like you said, I'm making these huge decisions and making a huge decision wasn't something new for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there had been other hardships in my childhood growing up where I had to fight for the best option and I had to fight to, to heal and fight to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so this I knew was going to be a big fight and probably the biggest fight for myself, you know, to get myself through this. So where mm-hmm. I was emotionally is just, I walked around in a haze most of the time. I think I try to be normal. I try to continue playing sports to the best of my ability. As as your stomach gets bigger, it's pretty hard to swing a bat or to right. bend down to ground a ball. <laughs> right. It's difficult to do those things. But, you know, you just, you're lost. And from the island, there, was, there wasn't anybody else that I knew of that had gone through this experience. And if there would have been, I would have known about it because it's so small there. Mm-hmm. 
So it was just a ton of pain, serious depression, because you just think about everything you're losing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when you're in that turmoil and that, you know, sort of desperation to feel better, to really understand that there is going to be a positive outcome and how it's going to to look on the other side. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very difficult during that entire time. What was your dad like? Was your dad in the picture? So my dad lived in a different part of the state. I okay. didn't tell him until I was about seven months pregnant. Our re- Yeah. <laughs> and that reaction is exactly <laughs> kind of the reaction I think of when, when I, you know, when I think of how long I waited now, it's sort of like regret and, mm-hmm. and I feel sad. And Did you not want to disappoint him? You know, I think my relationship with him wasn't that strong at that time. And I love my dad, you know, and loved him a lot. It was just, I was more concerned about the judgment. You know, I Mm -hmm. have my mother who's like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to figure this out. And here's the situation. We can't go back. And her heart is shattered, but she's working with me. You know, and I didn't know the reaction that my dad was going to give Mm -hmm. to me. And I think he found out when I, I was going off island, I was actually getting my driver's test while I was six, seven months pregnant. Oh my gosh. And I, yeah, right? Like trying to live these dual lives. Right. You know, so I was trying to get that test and then I went over to his house and I told him. And it was, you know, and I think he was more... Wait, angry. were you... I mean, you were showing. So... Yeah, seven months. Was, was he like, hey, I what? I wore baggy clothes. You know, okay. I tried to yeah. do everything and you're I young could and, to conceal mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I think he was more angry at, at the fact that I didn't tell him mm-hmm. sooner than he was that I was pregnant, you know? But then trying to get my whole family around this idea, you know, from extended family around what adoption would be and an open adoption was really, I think, a trip for everybody. Right. Did you know anything about adoption? I mean, did you know the way it worked? Did you know anyone adopted? No. So I what I do when I'm confused or unsure is I go to the books. I study, I research, I gain knowledge. It helps me feel comfortable. So I learned very quickly about different types of adoption. It was my mom and I reading books and going to the library and understanding the implications of, you know, very, very open adoption to an incredibly private, closed, potentially no contact adoption. So we had to learn that. And I just felt like for the sake of my child, we needed to do an open adoption. And I felt like that because we have family history of illnesses and and sicknesses, and they need to be able to ask those questions. But more than the medical reasonings. It was because if they have questions, I want them to know that they're loved. And the whole reason that I did this is for them. I don't want that to be a mystery mm-hmm. for them. And and I think for some families, the closed adoption works and it works perfect on both sides, but not for my family. But for my family, we needed contact and assurance. And for my child, I needed to make sure that whenever something pops up, they can contact me anytime. So you knew what kind of a family you wanted as far as open or closed yes. uh, family that would be willing to have an open adoption. What else were you looking for? What were you thinking about? Like, where is my child going to be raised? Yeah, I was looking for values that I think I wanted when I became a mother. So I wanted them to go to a household with two parents. I'm not concerned so much on, you know, the gender of parents or the, the sexuality. That doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me. But it was having multiple people that could help, you know, raise this kid. I think I would love them to be raised with a community. Education was really important to me. I think having educated parents can give a child such an advantage mm. to in being financially stable and just loving, kind, open-minded. Mm-hmm. Those were sort of the qualities that I was 
hoping for in, right. in adoptive parents. So all of the adoptive parents listening right now, and you're like, what am I supposed to put in a book? Put that in a book. <laughs> put your education in the book. You know, yeah. put your community in in the book. It's important. Mm-hmm. I remember we did that. We we put in there grandparents and we spent time with you know, my husband's family, my family. And that was really meaningful also to our birth moms is that they wanted to know who else is going to be in this child's life and what what is your day to day? It's not necessarily about we go to Greece or we really, you know, like traveling might be important to your birth mother. And if you do that, that's great. Put it in there. But but try to think of some deeper things that that would be so meaningful mm. to your birth mom. It's just hard. I'm talking to the adoptive parents right now because it's so hard for us to do the books because you don't know what you're putting in there. Oh. And so here you are, you're saying you're looking for education. You're looking for a community. You're looking for a loving family. You're looking for a family also that can provide, yeah, right, absolutely. financially. So yes. you're going to be looking at their jobs. Yeah. I remember one time we were asked by a birth mother how much we made per year. And I was like, what? Wow. A, that was like a, it was a critical, it was a question. Yeah. That. They wanted to know that, you know, long-term we're going to be able to, to care for well, and their child. I can child. only imagine for adoptive parents that are trying to figure out, you know, you're, you're trying to be the one that's selected. Right. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine what to put into your storybook and, and pulling out the factors that you think are going to connect with somebody. Right. Because every, right. I think every birth parent is also looking for different things. I think what I was that's looking true. for it's was true. sort of the, you know, these are the basics of right. how, where I want to be in my life when mm-hmm. I'm ready to ha- raise children. So it's just being themselves. And and also for the adoptive parents, I mean, we were brought a stack mm-hmm. of profiles. And it's like, how do you choose? I mean, they're all worthy. They're all deserving. They all have just so much to offer and so much love to give to these kiddos mm-hmm. that it was very, very difficult to yes. discern who was going to be the person right. or the couple to raise my child. Let's talk about how you found your agency. Yeah. And I i mean, I wish I could take credit. I think my mom found them. They were a Seattle-based agency. And, you know, we lived north of Seattle. So they had to travel to come to us because we're kind of in a secluded part. I think we probably just looked for open adoption agencies in Washington State. It's mm-hmm. probably what we did, to be honest with you. Right. How far along were you when they came and talked to you? I think I made my decision of adoption when I was about four months pregnant, four and a half months pregnant. So Okay. So before yeah. you had even told your dad or anything, right. you made this. Okay. I so four and a half months, they come out there. And tell me what that's like. What, what do they say to you? How do they introduce themselves to you? I mean, I want to know, do they bring the books with them? I mean, what do they talk to you about in that first meeting? You're asking me to remember these things from yeah, like I know. 16 years ago. <laughs> What I remember about my caseworker when she came out is she was kind and she was gentle and she was empathetic. And so I think the first meeting, if I remember correctly, is probably just to make sure that I am certain or as certain as I can be about my decision Mm -hmm. in answering a lot of questions. You know, as a birth mom, you're wondering, how does this whole process work? I remember that being the first interaction. Later on, we received the profiles and I think that they were sent to us in a box and it was a big big box of profiles that came Wow. Do you us. remember how many or? I, I would say dozens. Really? I mean, there's probably three or four dozen. I don't know that they do that anymore. I think they it's limit it to, name. well, they ask you what you're looking for and then they pull those families and limit it to like maybe 10. So I've heard of even five because it's overwhelming to, the whole thing is overwhelming, right? So then adoptive parents are not only trying to impress birth parents, but now they have to impress 
the agency. Yes. So that they can get in the pile to be yes. put in front of. Yeah. That's, that's so it hard. is. It's, it's a lot and it's overwhelming. And some agencies call the adoptive family and say, hey, we want to let you know you're one of three. Oh. And so they sit there and they're like, oh my gosh, oh, they, is she going to choose us? Don't do that. Just yeah. say, you got chosen. You Yay. Got it you're the one. Yeah. Time, yeah. Right. And I also understand that too. On your end, it's a lot of pressure as well. You're looking through yeah. all these books and trying to make the best decision at 15. Sounds like your mom was really supportive. Going back to your dad, when he did tell you, mm-hmm. you said he was upset that you waited so long, but then did he end up really coming around you and helping you? He, you know, he got on board because I think the one interesting thing about my personality and just who I am is I'm not, I've never really been that apologetic for the decisions that I've made Mm -hmm. because I feel like most of the big decisions I've made have been rooted in goodness Mm -hmm. and knowledge, right? How I said it's, I, I become empowered when I start reading and I start learning and I start understanding. So my decision was made. So I think with my family who loves me and and might not be able to cope, they kind of understand that if the decision has been made, then you have the option to get on board or to get off the ship. Mm -hmm. And I think with that mentality, which I'm not always saying is the healthiest, but that's, you know, that's who I am. And so eventually they all started coming around. And what was really interesting is this experience, I think, started opening the eyes of, you know, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents are now being introduced to the concept of adoption mm-hmm. in this regard. You know, they right. know about the closed private adoptions or, you know, somebody gets pregnant, they're shipped off to boarding school, they have their baby, they come back and they talk about having a nice summer vacation. Well, right. this is not what that is anymore. Right. And it's evolved. And so they had the opportunity to learn about different types of lives and what families can right. look like. That's really exciting. And that's the thing I love about you is that you see the silver lining, right? That this happened and it's hard, but there's something that is amazing that's going to come out of it. And that's why you're just a fighter. I mean, just in general, we'll talk about that more when we come back. And we want to talk about the family that you picked and how you picked them and the relationship that started as you're all waiting for this little baby. We have to take a break. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we have Brandy Miller joining us. She's a birth mother. And in her story, she is ready to make that choice of adoption. And she has met the agency and she's looking through all of these profile books and trying to make the choice of what family is going to raise her child. Brandy, you said it was very overwhelming. Let's start there. So you're going through these books. How did you get to your family? So by process of elimination. I have no idea how I was able to eliminate these. I think at some point when everybody seems so deserving, you start going by your gut or something that intrigued you initially. So I got to about four or five that I thought, okay, this is this is a very good number of families that could potentially be the ones. So I chose three of them. And I remember my caseworker 
than calling them, which is similar to what you recommended and saying that there's might be this opportunity and telling my story a little bit. So I ended up meeting with one family who were, they were amazing. They were unbelievable, like parents through and through. They lived to be parents. That's their whole life. They already had three or maybe four adoptive kids already. And I kind of selfishly wanted my kid to be, you know, one or two so that they could be spoiled as much as possible. I don't know if my mindset was right. No, I've heard that before. But, (laughs) you know, you're just thinking at that that time that that's kind of what you're hoping for. So talking to them was was amazing. I, I learned a lot. And when I expressed to the caseworker that I don't think that they're right, the right family, you know, they went to the family and had to tell them, I know. And they wrote this beautiful card. I mean, beautiful card. Yeah. To Mm. me, thanking me for my decision and just so kind. Like, I don't, I can't imagine that level of kindness and Mm -hmm. that situation. But so I ended up meeting with another family and the birth father was there too. So they came over to the island where we're from in Washington. And I think they brought me raspberries, which is one of the two things I really only wanted when I was pregnant. I only really? Do they know that? Raisin steak. Yeah, I think I probably wrote that. It's it's a well-known fact, my obsession with raspberries. So when Aww. I was pregnant, it was, I think, enhanced. Mm-hmm. Um, you but know, it so showed that they my, wanted to bring something that was really important to you. It was. Mm-hmm. And it was really thoughtful, too. And I met with them and found out about their background and just clicked with them right away. Um, they also had everything I was looking for, you know, for parents to raise my kiddo. So it was kind of instant for me. I didn't, with the previous family, I was I was trying, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to make it work and they were lovely, but there wasn't that instant connection that I had with this family. So we went ahead and met and then we just kept having conversations and conversations. And, you know, as the pregnancy evolved, they kept, were kept in the loop for all the appointments. Wait, know. so you picked them? Or no, you just... I chose them. You did choose them. I chose them. But at that time, or they, you just kind of like talked to them? No, I chose them at that time. Okay. I knew they knew. Okay. I'm not sure how they solidified the actual selection process and created that official relationship. Again, I was... They changed their Facebook status to (laughs) inner relationship. (laughs) Exactly. It was done. (laughs) Exactly. And so, uh, you know, we just kept in that communication and I wanted them to be a part to a certain extent of every step of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So that's really awesome. Yeah, it was really awesome. Okay. So it's time to deliver. Yeah, it is time. So again, being raised on an island is a little funny. So we had to schedule a C-section because you have to take a ferry off the island. You have to wait in line. There's so many variables that you basically at oh that my time, gosh. you would have Is to this eat. how everybody is having a baby? <laughs> I mean, do some people just not get on that ferry? I know. Well, you can helicoptered have... off. Okay. If it's an emergency, I do think now that they have a maternity ward or something. If I'm, I might be like someone that on call that a doula that could deliver you a baby if you can't so. make it. Yeah. Okay. You so you're waiting so. in line, and were you scared? So scared. You know, I remember thinking that like this is it. Like this is the day that like all this comes together. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. But my. Uh, the birth father missed the ferry, of course. And so that was extra hard because you get into the hospital and you're so scared and you're going to go under, you know, to get a C-section. And these curtains at that time, I don't know how it works, but so the curtains go up and my mom was there with me when it was supposed to be him. And that was just really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
How come they chose a C-section at 15? My body also wasn't developed. You know, I was 16 at the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I wanted to get back to life. Mm -hmm. We did a small C-section. He eventually made it during the actual cesarean. So he was there, and that was really reassuring. But, you know, you have the baby, and when you're under all of that medication, you're Mm -hmm. just sitting there, and and you're numb from head to toe. Mm -hmm. It's really hard, and... Um, I remember getting the baby and, and holding her at the time and just thinking like, this is it. Mm-hmm. All this just added up to this moment where I made that decision. So, you know, I held her and and then I remember them placing them in the adoptive parents' arms and it felt right. It did. It did. It felt right and it felt very challenging. Like I knew that the road ahead of me was going to be difficult for the rest of my life. But there was also some tricky situations with it because the baby was one 32nd American Indian. Um, And so there's some interesting tribal rights that were associated. Right. So my options were to basically take the baby home with me for 10 days and raise the baby as my own until I'm ready to place. Or I had to place the baby in a temporary like foster care situation so that we can, you know, until right. the so they give permission for adoption. Right. right. And so that was really tricky. So we we kind of decided that the adoptive parents are going to come to the island and we're going to do those 10 days together. Oh, my so, goodness. Was yeah. that so hard? And did you ever, even though you felt it was right, did you ever think, I want to change my mind? I had my intention set and I had my mission. And my mission was to provide the best opportunity for this kiddo. And there was no way that I could raise a child where I was in my life and give them everything they needed. So I never changed my mind in that way. It was already set that these are her parents and they're going to do a heck of a lot better Mm -hmm. at raising this child than I could. But there's always times, you know, even all the time I I just miss, I miss him. I just miss Mm -hmm. him all the time. And that never goes away. Mm -hmm. Her. Because her, him, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but people are going to be confused by that. But you did give birth to a baby girl. I did. And um, so the 10 days you're together and were they loving to you? Because I'm thinking about you, right? Yeah. And then I'm thinking about as an adoptive parent and you find out that this child is American Indian and you have to go through a lot of hoops to get permission to adopt. And now I'm going to the island and I'm going to (laughs) co-raise my new baby. And this was their first baby, right? This is their, they were so unbelievable. So what were they like? I mean, unbelievable, you just said, but like, yeah. how did that work? Did you guys stay in a hotel together? Did you? So they stayed in a hotel and then I stayed at the house and I went and visited as much as I could. I was still recovering from a major surgery too. So it was hard to get out or sometimes they would bring her over to me and we would spend time together. So it was too difficult to imagine raising the baby, you know, having the baby in my care for 10 days. Mm-hmm. So we really, we partnered. I mean, they did all the heavy lifting and all the, all the difficult stuff. And then I got to do the cuddling and, mm-hmm. you know, it just, and you were sleeping in the night and it, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They really did the actual parenting. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> so it was just a big collaborative effort mm-hmm. for those days while they were there. I think adoption is amazing because those parents changed from that moment as well. Yeah. And I, 
remember before I started the adoption process, I remember hearing stories and thinking, I could never. I'd always say, I could never. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't give myself enough credit because you could. And I just want to tell you, if you're listening to the story and you're like, whoa, I'm in this process. And what if you could? I thought I couldn't take care of a baby that was detoxing. And I could. I thought I wouldn't be able to handle that or relate to parents, the the birth parents, or do it and show up. And I did because you just do an adoption. You just do the next step and you do what you have to do. And you begin to love people in a way that's not normal necessarily, not, not what you think would be, right? This is the perfect scenario. But you begin to extend yourself in a different way and you realize that it's different for everybody, but it's right for you. Mm-hmm. And so this story became you two, you guys, you four, was the birth father involved? Yeah. Okay. So all of you kind of coming together to make this work. So after 10 days, they got to go home? Yeah. So then they took the ferry off the island and then it was just me and my mom and my brother on the island and trying to heal just right. yeah, to what just happened. And And what was that like? I throw myself into into work. I just get busy as possible. That's mm-hmm. how I kind of cope. And so as soon as I could stand up and go up a couple stairs again, I just went back to my job. I was fortunate because I had some friends that were on my team through the whole thing. And they would come over and they would make jokes and they would laugh at me, laugh with me. And, you know, we would compare scars, <laughs> physical scars, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of hard to compare, you know, your emotional ones at that point. Right. You know, and we would we would just have a good time. So I just try to surround myself with people that love me and respected me and, you know, were there for me. And Did you feel so lonely right. because you are now not a 16-year-old anymore, right? Mentally, you are physically, right? right? So you're doing all the, and that's what I hear a lot is that birth moms say, well, I'm, I'm in college and I'm like trying to be a college student, but I'm I'm not anymore. I'm not that maturity anymore. Yeah, you never quite go back. And I think I had more maturity than a lot of my friends in in some ways prior to being pregnant. But Mm -hmm. then after you go through that trauma and that loss, you're different. You don't know anybody else. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody else like me. I couldn't relate to, and still to this day, I can't relate to these things. You know, like certain petty things I never really care about how many dresses are in my closet or like what the trend is or mm-hmm. I, just, I mean you're really trendy so <laughs> oh thank you so much <laughs> so you just have a natural gift oh thanks so much <laughs> yes when you see the world different like that you can't go back you right. know you can't go back and you start really imagining and, and understanding what's important in this world like you know for me it's never been about the material things that's never been important and the way that you love like you were just talking about you love deeper mm-hmm. well you have a couple ways right like some mm-hmm. people close up but for me loving and giving and generosity mm-hmm. was the way that I've coped with it my whole life did you get therapy I went to a couple therapy sessions when I was younger it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I started to go to therapy more often and try and cope with it mm-hmm. and understand how this has changed my life for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. And and that loss, because there is that loss, right? Yeah. And you yeah. can't really explain it because your body has just gone through something. And so your body will eventually tell you, hey, we should get some some therapy or we should really work on this or heal. And I don't think you ever really heal, do you? No, I don't think so. I mean, from any loss, not just adoption, mm-hmm. you know, uh, death of loved ones. Mm-hmm. If you saw something traumatic, I, I don't think you fully heal. Mm-hmm. I think you start to manage, mm-hmm. you know, Accept you manage it, your maybe. life, 
you accept it, you know that it's changed you, and you start learning how to live day to day with whatever it is that that loss or that trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about your relationship with the family afterwards, yeah. like years after. Are you seeing them? Are they coming to visit you? Are they sending pictures? Yes. So we're we're really close. So part of our open adoption agreement were was a certain amount of visits, was updates. At that time, we did a lot of like letters and handwriting. I think it was three visitations a year, but we never had to follow that agenda because mm-hmm. we really were a family ourselves. You know, so my what I've always tried to do is be as respectful as possible to the adoptive parents when it comes to my baby because they're the ones that are taking on this responsibility and I don't want to be the person to kind of muddle mm-hmm. in it. I just want to have my relationship respectfully with them. So when we go and visit, when we go to Washington, we stay with them. When I got married this past year, they were at the wedding. Really? Yeah, they've come to my graduations. Aww. I mean, they have made all the effort that I could ever dream of. So it's been a beautiful process. I'm so fortunate. That's really amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it really amazing because... 16 years ago, open adoption was fairly new. It was. So they were really pioneering a way for the rest of us to kind of follow and say, okay, what is this like? And, you know, what is what does the child call you? What does the child call you? Brandy. But, you know, when she was two or three, she was like, Brandy, you're my birth mom. I mean, Aww. there's a deep, there's a big mm-hmm. understanding of what our family is. It's, it's messy and it's confusing and we're all over the place. Mm-hmm. But I think we understand. It's very clear to us who we are. Right. And the yeah. roles that you play. And the roles that Did you feel play. like more of an aunt? Yeah, it's hard because I imagine when I raise kids that I'm going to be like rather strict and, you know, I have this idea. But then when I talk, you know, to my child, I feel like I'm kind of a fun aunt mm-hmm. and a fun mom. And that's, I don't want this expectation from early on. I remember when he was like 12 or 13 and called me one day and he was, he was angry at his parents. Right. And was like, well, what if I lived with you? And I was like, you would, you would not want to live with me. I mean, your parents have these great boundaries and these great skills and a system set for you. I was like, you would be miserable. I mean, you would have chores every morning. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not as fun on a day to day basis. You think I am. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I remember having that conversation. So that's sometimes you're torn on that. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to be able to adjust to the role that this child wants me to be in. Right. That makes sense. So you keep going back and forth to he yes, and let's she. Talk about this. Yes. It's probably okay. confusing. It is confusing. We wanted people to think on it for a little Yes. <laughs> They're like, wait. Yes. What's happening? Okay. So your child is transgender. Yes. Yeah, so my child was born a female, mm-hmm. was born female, and then has always felt like a male most of his life. So about, he's 16 now. And I think when he was 13, he came out to me to tell me that he does not identify as being a girl. He identifies as being a boy. Was this a surprise to you? You know, I want, I I feel like I'm supposed to say, yes, it was. But there's a part of me that doesn't feel like it really was a biggest surprise to me as I think it was to a lot of other people. Maybe it's because I'm always surrounded by a very diverse community. I'm pretty open like that. I don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of set roles for people. I don't, I see life as very fluid. And, you know, Micah always was sort of had more, you know, masculinity to him. And and as did I, I did too, but I was Mm -hmm. more the tomboy and I had a clear attraction to men and, but it was different with Micah. So it wasn't a huge surprise. It was just more of that initial shock. And then 
I had to go into safety mode Mm -hmm. because of the stats that I understand, or at least at the time that they were saying that 50% of teenagers that are transgendered attempt suicide. Mm. And because I know that, and I was, you know, my previous career, I really worked with some of these kind of marginalized populations. It was about my child's safety. That was number one for me, you know, and for me, the only way that I could, I felt like I had control over that is to be supportive. So it didn't matter. And it still doesn't matter what I think in the grander scheme of things. It's about making sure that this child is loved, supported, and protected, that they're safe at all times Mm -hmm. because of this decision. Tell me about what the parents, the adoptive parents are saying. What do they think? Yeah, it's, I think it's a little bit harder. And I think part of that is because, you know, they raised Micah, they raised him as a little girl. And, you know, his mom's dream was, she always tried to get him in dresses. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that only lasted for so long. And, you know, always kind of wanted that little girl too. But for them, it was a big adjustment and they cope different ways, you know, from his mom is, is a therapist. And so naturally she went to counseling and they found support groups and tried to wrap their heads around it like that. I know that I think Mark had a sort of a similar focus of, as I did, but more proactive where, you know, he went to the principal's office and found out what they can do. And he's very mm-hmm. you know, tactical thinking and analytical. And so he was like, okay, how can we do this to make sure that Mike is okay? Right. And so that's so, the progression. Micah changed his name too, yes, right? That's yes. not his birth name. He changed his name to Micah. Okay. Yeah. And did he tell you that at the first meeting? Because that would be a big shock to be like, call me something else. I'm your little girl. No, I'm not. I'm now one no, of you, you know. I don't think we talked about names okay. right away. So it kind of was a progression. Everything is it kind of a progression, progression that you can kind of accept. It wasn't all at once. Right. I have to ask you this question. Yes. Did the adoptive parents feel like, this is because he's adopted? I don't, you know, we never had that conversation. So I'm not sure how to answer that or I'm not sure if because they felt that way or not. People want to go, well, this is because of this, right. right? And then transgender people are like, no, it's not because of anything. I right. was born this way. So that's the big, right, debate. Right. And so they're trying to figure it out. But as a therapist or a psychologist, you would start to kind of would say, what was the big trauma? Yes, you know, yes. Was, was it trauma? <laughs> was it, and they adopted another son. Yeah. So, you know, does he want to be like that son? I mean, that would be what would be swirling around, thoughts. but you really can't get to the answer. And I like what you said. Honestly, this is really how I feel in life in general. It's not really my job to figure everything out. It's my job to just love people, mm-hmm. to accept them, to support them and to protect them. Absolutely. That's my job. What does that mean? He's a male. He dresses like a male. He got a surgery. Yeah. And he's, he's 13. He so, hasn't, or 16. He, he doesn't have surgery yet. So, you know, I really try to have conversations with him about, you know, the dangers of taking testosterone or some other enhancements and your body developing. But he felt like he needed that to start truly transitioning. So um, he is now taking some testosterone and definitely has a short boy haircut. He's he's a male, you know, mm-hmm. so he's doing male things and he's a feminine male. You know, he has a nice blend between the two, but we also have to remember that kids, they really see life as fluid and they really see gender as fluid. And especially in Washington state mm-hmm. where we're always thinking outside of the box and thinking bigger and what life actually is, you know, there is a community of people similar to him that, that think the same way and they feel the same way and they're definite in how they feel. What would be your advice to a family going through this right now? Yeah. So it's really interesting because I have some close friends that are going through this right now with one of their kiddos. And I think my advice is the same as what we shared. Don't be so quick to judge and to rebuttal it because 
our main focus is mitigation. Number one, mitigating any issues that might cause safety concerns for them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's your number one issue. And just love them. You know, like when I got pregnant, my mom said, you know, anything you decide to do, I'll support you. And that's sort of how my mantra is for my life is just be supportive and just love them the same. They're the same. Yes. They're always the same inside. Yeah. And what is your advice for birth mothers? Oh, don't be afraid to share your story. It's a big part of who you are and it dictates. And I think a lot of times we're worried that people are going to judge us or look at us differently or just see us different than who we are or take that experience and just make it our full personality. But don't be afraid to reach out, find support, meet other birth mothers, be brave, be you. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're brilliant. It's a big decision that affects everybody for the rest of their lives. So it's very commendable on what they're deciding to do. Yes. I mean, you are a birth mother, but you have a master's degree. You are a real estate agent. You just got married. You're very successful. So you just kept going. And I think that that is great advice is share your story. Don't let the story trap you, but people will accept you. And people do love these stories. I'm telling you my birth mother stories are the number one stories that we tell in Adoption Now. So they love your stories. Thank you for taking time to come on Adoption Now today. Thank you for having me, April. I really appreciate what you're doing. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. <laughs>